We're delighted to have her here. We haven't seen her since the wedding. This is great. Uh, We're going to return to uh, reading two passages this morning, as we uh, did last week. We're going to read Titus chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 9, as we did previously. And then we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm thankful for the privilege of having the Word of God. May our hearts truly hear and understand. As I've been working this last week on the latest edition of the Free Grace Broadcaster, I was surprised and thrilled to read one of the older writers affirming that when we hear God's Word read and preached, we're hearing God. Please don't let that slip by you. You are hearing God. Much as you may be tempted to say, no, we're just hearing that guy up there who preaches long sermons every week. You're quite likely to hear that this morning, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to hear God, is to hear the truth of his word explained and applied so that we might walk faithfully with him. That being the case, if you would please stand with me one more time. We're going to read Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We want to remember that Paul is writing to men that he has purposefully and personally trained in apostolic truth. They are first among those in history who were taught by the apostles. And in both cases, they are men sent to troubled churches to restore God's order. In other words, they've been sent to do a work of reform. And what's lying at the heart of that reform? Appointing pastors after God's own heart because they are the appointed instruments of bringing God's voice to God's people. That being said, let's now read uh, the inspired, infallible word of God. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is God's precious word. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, or the things that are lacking. 
The picture actually in the Greek is setting a broken bone. That's the idea. That's what Titus is up to. So, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. It, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop, an overseer, must be blameless. Not perfect, but not living in open and chargeable sin. <clears throat> As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. He's not in it for the money. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Let's go on and read verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. And listen, listen to what he says. Listen to Paul. Listen to the voice of God, whose mouths meaning the false teachers, must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. In it for the money. All right, now let's turn to 1 Timothy. <clears throat> Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Let us hear... Once again, these precious words of life and these words of instruction. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? The obvious answer, by the way, is he can't. <clears throat> Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them, which are without or outside the congregation, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. If you can still stand a few more minutes, let's have our morning pastoral prayer. If, if you have a condition that makes it um, difficult for you to remain standing, please feel free to be seated. Now let's join our hearts at the throne of grace.
my Father, how I thank thee for who thou art and what thou hast done in this universe, on this planet, amongst men. All thy works shall praise thy name. Father, today, the nations are in turmoil. But we are one day closer when all the nations will stream and bow before the throne of Christ Jesus. This gives us great hope and great joy. Our Father, Thou art in heaven. We have read in Revelation twice this morning, and we've seen the glorious, the beautiful worship. And we so long by Thy Spirit to worship, to magnify Thee, that our hearts would not be so encrusted with the barnacles of this culture that we can't lift up our voices with joy and praise and thanksgiving and worship, true worship, heart-felt, spirit-empowered, word-enlightened worship. Oh, Father, how I thank Thee. Now, I know that thy blessed son is seated at thy right hand. I know at this very moment, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the God-man, is seated in glory and interceding for us. Oh, how our hearts ought to rise up with gladness, rise up with joy, rise up with thanksgiving, rise up with praise that that holy person gazes upon us and loves us, that he knows us perfectly and loves us, and he remembers perfectly how he shed his blood in love for us. And now he takes our weak and feeble prayers and presents them to thee. O Father, I ask in his name that thou wouldst bless thy precious people. Bless them. Father, perhaps some have failed this week, fallen on their faith in the path on the way to the celestial city. They have grieved thee, grieved themselves with sin. Oh, Lord, would you turn their eyes to that mountain upon which thy son died? Would thou turn their hearts to gaze into the empty tomb out of which he triumphed over the grave? Would you turn their eyes up to thy right hand, seeing the intercessor applying his precious blood to them and pouring in the oil of the Spirit to give them strength to get up and go again? Oh, may their hearts rise up in Christ. Father, for those perhaps have been battling sickness, thy son is truly the great physician, not only of our souls, but of our bodies. And I pray, O oh righteous Father, we continue in these seasons of sickness, and for some long seasons of sickness, 
Oh Christ, if it would please thee, come and restore health. Come and touch, heal, heal children who are having uh, health struggles. Heal adults, oh God, with short-term or long-term sicknesses. Lord, for those who are tuning in today because they couldn't drive in today, bless them, encourage them, and heal their bodies. Father, may all our hearts be united in thy Son this morning. For those who are filled with joy, I pray that they have sung like it this morning. I pray that their hearts rose up because the joy and the beauty of the Son of Righteousness has risen upon us today. And we thank Thee, O Christ, O risen Savior. We thank Thee that on Thy day we may spend this whole day in Thy glory, Thy praise, that we might spend this whole day in loving Thee and loving one another. Lord, if, if our batteries are down, recharge us by the power of Thy Spirit. Help us physically, help us mentally, help us spiritually by the glorious power of Christ. And may it all be to His glory. And as this Word comes forth, Lord, please move in the hearts of Thy people. Save the lost. Shake them out of their darkness. Shine the light of Christ. Cause them to see their need of the willing Savior. And, O oh God, how I pray for thy dear people, whatever their condition, whatever state they are presently in, oh, may every heart be warmed by thy love, be touched by the Spirit of God shedding abroad the love of God in their hearts. And may we look to thee with joy and earnest desire to hear thee and be transformed by thee. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> By the grace of Jesus Christ, the head of his churches. We continue to consider the qualifications of an elder, a bishop, a pastor, a shepherd. They are all the same office. But each of those titles, as we have said several times, simply give us greater insight and explain to us more the importance of that work and the variety of that work. So we will now pick up where we left off last time. The title of the message is Hospitality Apt to Teach. We will consider only those two qualifications this morning. <clears throat> the title of the message, as I mentioned, embodies what an elder must have. Once again, I point you back to the words, the elder must be. There's no option. If that's lacking in a man, it at least needs to be observable to some degree. Every man grows in the office. And he grows in each of these qualifications. But if they're not there, if it cannot be perceived, then at that point, 
uh, it is at the, at the very least time for the would-be candidate to wait and to grow and to mature until these things are clearly observable by the people of God. So hospitality and apt to teach may even look like unlevel things. How big a deal is hospitality? It's a must-have, or you're not an elder. <clears throat> and apt to teach is quite obvious. So, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. That's what you need today. That's what I need today. After Jesus rose again with men he had personally trained for over three years, it says that he opened their hearts, opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. It is a supernatural book that needs supernatural instrumentation, supernatural power to understand as God would have us understand it. So we need the eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling. And I hope you get a taste of that today, at least at some level. The hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We have a great inheritance. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe? Did you miss that? Let me run at that again. Something distract you? Listen carefully. Thank you. A help indeed. <clears throat> His greatness of power toward you, believers. Do we think of that when we're afflicted, when we're struggling, when we're wondering about what's going on? Do we think about his great power toward us? Let's appropriate that. Let's expect that. Let's cry out to God for it. And he says it's according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Amen. So, as we take up these two particular qualifications... We begin in verse 2 with given to hospitality. Given to hospitality means to have an attitude of being generous and gracious to guests. Now everybody be saying, okay. And strangers. Uh, hold it. Right? But that's exactly what it means. If you don't know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go scoop up every homeless person, every strange person that you see out on the... Strangers here means foreigners. There were many that were among the Jews. There were many that would come among the Christians that were professing brothers and sisters in Christ. And it was expected to encourage them 
and to love them and to care for their needs. So it might not be somebody that you know. We would always have to be wise, cautious, careful with all of that. But nonetheless, sometimes we need, need to scoop up somebody who's visiting us here and bring them to your house and feed them and fellowship with them. Now, and we can see this qualification repeated in Titus chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says that an overseer must, remember the must, necessary, no other option. An overseer must be a lover of hospitality, not begrudging, not somebody that's like, oh, okay, if I want to preach, then I'm going to have to have somebody over to my house. You don't need to be in the pulpit. It's somebody who's got a heart to show the heart of Christ to the stranger. As well as to friends and family. Hospitality should be a mark of Jesus' blood-bought congregations. Hear that? Not two or three people in the congregation... The congregation should be known for its love for those who come among them. that profess to be Christians. And even there would be those who don't profess to be Christians. We would walk cautiously and carefully with them. But there's even a time to say, why don't you come home with me for lunch? And talk to them about Christ. Discernment. Wisdom. Caution, but looking for ways to bless others. This is one of them. Hospitality is a concrete expression of the love and care of Jesus Christ. When Jesus sent out the twelve to preach the kingdom and to work miracles... He said, into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. There weren't motels everywhere. Couldn't just put people up anywhere. And Christians opened their homes. Or believers. Sometimes even just beneficent people. Jesus said, whatever city, whatever town, inquire who's worthy and there abide till you go thence. He that receiveth you receiveth me. There's the heart of it. It isn't just about being nice to people. I'm not saying we should be not nice. Unnice, that's not a word. But we're to show people the glory of God the goodness, the grace, the mercy that God has shown us. This is not something to make up. And if you have to make it up, let me ask you to examine your heart. What kind of heart is in there? Is it someone who knows that Christ came to someone who should have been wadded up and thrown into hell, but showed you his grace and mercy and bid you come? 
let's realize that the salvation that he so freely bestowed upon us ends with us being in his household for eternity. That's good news. <laughs> that make you want to be hungry to move. It's just that's in his plan. <laughs> He relocates us when he's ready. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> Jesus said, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. You can't deal with God's people without dealing with God. You cannot deal with Christians without dealing with Christ. He said that. Didn't he say it to Paul? What happened on the road to Damascus? Um, who art thou, Lord? Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Paul never saw Jesus. But Paul was touching Jesus' people in whom he dwelt. However you deal with me, however I deal with you, I'm dealing with Jesus. If husbands and wives would believe that with all their hearts, their marriage would get sweeter. If parents and children that have believing children really, really believed and applied that, there'd be a sweeter relationship. Wouldn't be perfect. But it would be real. Because I can't touch one of Jesus' children without touching him. That's a sober life, isn't it? That's something to think about. Well, in the days of Christ and the apostles, Christians in various places would host traveling Christians, traveling apostles, traveling teachers. Now, think about that for just a moment and then let's ask a question. What will every person who has ever lived on this planet hear before the throne of Christ's glory in the day of judgment? Let me ask that again. What will every person who has ever lived on this planet hear, H-E-A-R, before the throne of Christ's glory on the day of judgment? What will they all hear? For I was and hungered, and ye gave me meat. You fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. What? A stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? They're perplexed. When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, truly, in the Greek, Amen. Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now let's just put that in reverse. If I haven't done these things, by the way, God's going to send an entire group of people that haven't done this directly to hell that will follow this. But right here, what's he saying? You showed compassion, encouragement. You met my needs. You showed me hospitality. That makes this a serious matter, doesn't it? This is something that will come up at the throne of grace. For that reason, elders must be examples of hospitality because Jesus, the head of the church, commands his people to show hospitality. Why should an elder do anything Well, first, because Jesus commands it. But it's always got one thing in view. His people's lives. How you live. That means we have to be models. I mean, many a time I've wanted to say, (laughs) do what I tell you, but don't expect me to do it. That's what the flesh says. We want to tell, and unfortunately, some guys like that get in the pulpit. They don't mind telling you, it's just like politicians. They don't mind telling you what you need to do, but they don't do it. No. No. Pastors have to open their homes. Let me rephrase that. Elders in the congregation get to open their homes because at those moments, when done in faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the good of his people, they're exalting Jesus. Many of us don't seem to, to understand when Jesus said, He that hath my commandments... And keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. For a lot of us, and I say this carefully, it's not not true about everybody. This is broad brush, so listen with the broad brush filter. Many of us say, well, uh, I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by my works. And... I'm not that hospitable person. If you're in union with Jesus Christ, you are and an expected hospitable person. It is inescapable. A lot of syllables for one word, but it's inescapable. Now, <clears throat> you, you might say, well, what do you mean command? I don't remember Jesus commanding. Well, he commanded us through Peter And he commanded us through Paul. For that reason, 
Elders must pay attention. They must be hospitable. Christ commands us through Peter, above all, have fervent charity among yourselves. I like those two words, though we don't generally use them today. Charity has taken on a different sense. But in this, in this context, it's love. Have not just some love, not a little love. Have fervent, strong love for one another. So, above all things... Oh, wait, what? Above all things... Oh, no, wait a minute. Uh, we get to argue about how long skirts are. No, that's not where you start. You start with loving God's people. Because that's what he commanded. And they're not all going to see eye to eye on some things. But you don't start off with the little externals or even the big externals. As such, you start off by pointing to Christ and showing Christ. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. You see, you have to love me. And I have to love you. It's right here. Well, you're not that lovable. You could talk to my wife. But I can tell you without any hesitation, wherever God's people are, and whoever God's people are, we need to love them because Jesus does. Yes, I understand it's difficult to know sometimes who is and who isn't. I got all that. But you see, we like to put up questions like that so that we don't have to obey that four-letter word. I mean, Peter, Peter just gets under your skin in this thing. He says, above all things, have fervent charity, that fervent love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. What? You mean I don't get to pick on people and where they fail, or at least they fail my standards? No. Certainly not to begin with. Charity covers the multitude of sins. Use hospitality to one another, and then he gets personal without grudging. Some of us would do it with our teeth grit. Okay, I got to do this. But it's like, no, you get to do this. It is a pleasure and an honor for you and me to obey Jesus. You get to show the compassion, the love, the encouragement of Jesus. And, but he does say, I understand that that can be a challenge for you. I understand that that can be difficult sometimes, but do it without grudging. Again, Christ commands us through Paul. Let love be without dissimulation. In other words, don't be phony about love. And don't use the word if you don't know what it means, you don't know what it requires, and you don't really mean it. Get another word, but don't use it. Let love be real. Be genuine. I can say, 
after the Lord first saved me, I struggled and I wrestled because I realized that the American Christian religion looked just like the world. And I was part of it. And I said, Lord, if I want to be anything, make me real. If I say it, I want to mean it. Don't say it if you don't mean it. You might just break somebody's heart. Listen to what Paul says. Don't be phony about your love. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Over whom? People that are not believers. You should have a special love for those that are Christ's people. Some of us love our flesh and blood families more than Jesus' blood-bought people. That's a dangerous play to be, place to be. It's not an either-or. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. Love your earthly family. Love them. Encourage them. But loving doesn't just mean having gushy feelings about them. It means showing them Christ, encouraging them in Christ, treating them in ways that's honoring, that are honoring to Christ. But there are those, I've seen this in homeschoolers, listen, a lot. I'm in my little package of people and that's it. My flesh and blood family, this is it. Because we're resurrecting the family. We're doing manhood and womanhood. And so my little family is the only community that I really care about. Wrong thinking. Unbiblical. Many in your family may not be with you for eternity. But every regenerate soul here will be. And we're all going to give an account for how we treat each other. Now, notice, Paul finishes this, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, given to hospitality. This is a command. This is not, uh, oh, try this. Oh, let's make some holiday memories. That's not what this is about. It's about being Christ-like in a Christ-hating world. It is about showing forth the love of our master. And sometimes to the most undeserving. Is that not what he did with me? With you? Both Peter and Paul commands to hospitality. Both Both of them who have made these commands, they connect it to love for God's children. We can't escape it. John tells his disciples just before his crucifixion, John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment. The Puritans used to love to call it the 11th commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another if you can muster a little of it up. Be a little nicer to them the next time you see them. No. Love one another as I've loved you. 
a wholehearted self-commitment to the people God has put me with. His family. Love your family. Love your family. Do everything you can for your family. Point them to Christ. Live Christ before them. Love them, love them, love them. But not at the expense of ignoring Jesus' family. And you see, it's connected to that commandment. Love one another. And it's got to be wired in with compassion. Oh, I want to grudge a little bit. No, you can't. A little? No. With love. And a real wholehearted love. Or you need to do some talking with the Lord. Peter lodged men uh, that Cornelius sent. He didn't know these guys. Then called he in and lodged them. And he was living in someone else's house. Wow. Why is this important? Why is this important? Number one, hospitality reflects the law of God. It reflects the law of God. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and soul, and mind. But he didn't stop. He was asked, what was the chief commandment? He went a little further. He said, and the second is like unto it. That means it's really important. It's right up there with the first. And what is it? Love thy neighbor as thyself. That means caring for them like Jesus did. It's important because it reflects the law of God. The Old Covenant scriptures are filled with remarkable acts of hospitality, if you read carefully. Melchizedek brought bread and wine to Abraham. Abraham spread a feast for three angels. He was in a hurry to get that to them. Laban showed hospitality to Abraham's servant, looking for a wife for Isaac. The list is lengthy. We could go a long time where God teaches us remarkable things in the context of showing people hospitality. Graciousness, generousness, generosity. I won't go with any further examples, but the fact is God expected Israel to show hospitality to guests and strangers as a witness to the nations. Israel's different than all these other nations. He wanted to show his compassion. He wanted to show his grace, his mercy, his love in a way that the ancient world didn't understand. And Israel fell in that particular thing again and again. So, in the New Testament, I'll just give one example. Jesus rebuked Simon the Pharisee. What did he rebuke him about? <clears throat> well, 
he did not provide water to wash Jesus' feet. That was standard custom. When you had someone into your house, you provided water to wash their feet. Jesus rebuked him because he didn't give him a welcome kiss while a woman's on her face kissing Jesus' feet. You didn't, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet. You didn't welcome me with a kiss. He showed me no affection whatsoever. And on top of that, you didn't give me any oil for my head. What's he rebuking him for? The text isn't about hospitality. But you can't miss the fact that hospitality is where it took place as Jesus rebukes the man. I mean, it's one of the few places where Christ is invited in and he rebukes the host. As we've seen, Jesus, the head of the church, commands his people to be hospitable through Peter, through Paul. It's commanded, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. So, hospitality reflects the law of God in God's great generosity to his people and, and the lost world. Number two, hospitality reflects the character of Christ Jesus himself. Not just the law of God, but the gospel on two legs. Two disciples heard John the Baptist say, Behold, the Lamb of God. And they left John to follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? What are you looking for? They said unto him, Rabbi. That's important. Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? Now, by addressing Jesus as Rabbi, the two men were saying that they had chosen Jesus to be their teacher, their Rabbi, their Master. John said, There he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so they started following him. What do you want? We want to be with you. Where do you you live? Where's your place? Where's your apartment? Listen to the text carefully. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. He brought them in. He sat them down. He talked with them. And it was about holy things. We know that. Because Andrew was one of those two men. And the next scene, we find him running to find his brother Peter. And he said, we have found the Messiah. Now, once again, it's about finding and walking with Jesus. That's that's what the point of the passage is. But what's the context? Jesus said, come to my house. Let's talk. Becoming Christ's disciples is vital. Desiring to be with him is vital. 
but we have to be with him somewhere. And when he was in a place, he was happy to have these men that he didn't know. And he taught them. It's quite possible with the way this is worded. It could be since it was uh, apparently uh, uh, late in the day. There's argument about what time it was. The 10th hour. Were they doing the Roman calendar uh, time scale? Or were they doing the Jewish? The Jewish it would have been 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And, it's a, and he spent the day with him. So it's quite possibly that they even spent the night there. Wouldn't, I wouldn't argue for that. But it's certainly possible. That late in the day. You know they didn't talk for 15 minutes. There was something so glorious and so authoritative and so beautiful about what Christ was teaching. They weren't in a hurry to go home. Now, nevertheless, we must see, at least in that context, something of Jesus' hospitality. They stayed with him. At least for a day. Thirdly, hospitality points. Now here, we want to get this just right. Hospitality points to the glorious and heavenly hospitality awaiting believers. Christ has called us to himself and summoned us to his table. He started it here. We get that? Do we, do we stop and think? A lot of times I'm so guilty of not really thinking about what I'm doing. It's in harmony with what I'm told to do. But to stop and think. When we see the bread and the cup, what do we see? A meal. We've been invited to a meal. The living God is showing us his hospitality. I've given my son for you. I've broken his body. I've shed his blood. I've put your sins away. Now come and remember it. How do we do it? By coming to his table, coming to the greatest meal we can ever have. Because it doesn't just feed the body. It feeds the soul. That is why the early church had the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal, which we used to do. Uh -uh. There was a higher meal waiting, and it was Christ himself. This is my body. It's broken for you. This is my blood. It's broken for you. Eat and drink and remember me. It's all in the context of a compassionate, gracious generous meal. Is that not so? Then shouldn't our lives reflect that? Shouldn't our lives reflect that extraordinary giving? Well, Jesus, Jesus has summoned us. He summoned us to this table And the day will come when he will summon us to that glorious table for eternity. The marriage supper of the Lamb. 
the wedding supper. Isn't it amazing that that's how it's put to us? The glory of what's coming. The glory of what Christ has done and accomplished for us. His broken body, his shed blood, which we remember until we get to that meal. And then we have him for eternity. And that's a foretaste. It's prophetic in that sense. It's like for each and every one that is born of my spirit and who takes this, this meal in faith, oh, the feast is coming. Christ himself, the king in his beauty, the one who loved us before the foundation, before the foundation of the world, he was already planning the dinner. Oh, my friends, what time of joy, what times of encouragement, what times of carrying one another's burdens, what times of sweet fellowship, what times of bonding with others in the love of Christ when we open our homes to others and bless them with what blessings Christ has poured out on us. Not just for your family. I repeat, love them, love them, love them. Pour out every gift to them you want. But you can't ignore Jesus' family. And not only is it a time of joy, but then we have to stop and balance that by thinking about tragedy. Think with me just for a moment. How tragic it is that some and so many of those who profess to be Christians, including some elders, rarely or even never use their homes that Jesus gave them nor the food that Jesus gave them, nor the comforts that Jesus gave them as an expression of his love and warmth and kindness to them. And they don't open the door to anybody else, or very few. Well, I'm in this congregation, and I like this one and that one. That's about it. The rest of them don't do what we do, so they're out. You don't have that luxury. My dear brethren, your house, your car, your clothes, your food, everything that you have came to you from Jesus Christ. You can say, mine, all you want. But the minute you drop into the coffin, mine disappears right we ought to be taking what God has poured out upon us and pour it out on others you say that's difficult sure it is especially in our day when we all live miles and miles apart from each other 
at one of the places that I used to preach on a regular basis. Everybody lived at least an hour from each other. And when we would go to the conference, we'd spend the whole day driving to this person's house for lunch and then driving over to that person's house an hour away for dinner. And then we'd all go and worship together. You can overcome obstacles when you want to do something. We had three widows here one time. This was some time ago. We had three widows. And I, I did a couple of sermons on the issue of hospitality. And they said, well, how do we do this? You know, we're in, we're in a, a church where they've got these gigantic families, small nations. How do, how do we show them? But we, we can barely feed ourselves. How are we going to feed them? How are we going to do this? These three women prayed about it because it was the word of God. And they prayed about it. And the three of them got together. And one of them said, I have a house that would hold most of them. And the other said, well, we can cook and we can put some things together. And they didn't have generally any more room than for one of our big families, but that's what they'd do. And they'd have them over and they would feed them and they would encourage them and they would sing hymns together and they would open up the scriptures and it was beautiful and God blessed it because it was Christ-like. Others said, you know, I, I don't even have a place where I can put, you know, a, a family the size of, of, of some of our, our larger families. And families, large families are a good thing. Yeah. And they said, but you know what? I can buy us some, some uh, coffee and donuts and I can say, let's go to the park together. And they would let the children play. And they would sit in fellowship. If you want to show hospitality, you can. It's, you just got to pray about it. And when you pray, remember about grudging. We, we're to do it because we exalt Christ. We magnify Christ. It's not always possible. I mean, in this, this time of sickness all the time, it's really hard for folks to get together. I understand that. We're not talking about what happens providentially that keeps us from doing it? I'm talking about the desire within us not to do it. That's what needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying how many times. The Lord doesn't. You, know? you don't want to wear your wife out. I was good at that. Um, I've just invited people right and left. I started learning how to say, sweetheart, do you think it would be a good idea for us to have somebody over this Sunday? So, brethren, what are we hearing? What are we hearing? A man that honors Christ and models what Christ commands. If he's not doing that, I'm not talking if he's got health reasons. I'm not talking about the, the providences that come and keep us from doing providential hindrance. Talking about the fact that when I can, I show what I can to God's people, not just my family. So, I'm going to stop there. I wanted to get to apt to teach, but we have the Lord's Supper today. He's being generous to us. We want to, we want to go to the meal. <clears throat> and I will come back to have to teach next week. But you see, this is not a little thing. 
And the issue of the qualifications is not a little thing. Someone said to me last week, I never thought of a particular word from what I was uh, teaching last week. Uh, I had so much behind it. The reason it does is because it has Christ behind it. It has Christ behind it. Christ could say, come and see. Spent the day with him. Oh, brethren, think, pray, look for ways to love Christ back by obeying him. And as we look for someone who will serve as an elder, an overseer here, he needs to be a man that does that. It's seeable, it's identifiable. All these things are. So, it's all in Christ. It's all for Christ. May we in our hearts and in our minds give ourselves to a Christ-like hospitality. Amen. Father, I thank thee for the wonderful mercy thou hast shown us in Christ every single day. Every day. And how we thank thee that thou callest whenever we so desire to come to thy table. Oh, we bless thee, Father. May our hearts and minds unite in love for thee, in love for one another. Lord, make this church, awaken this church where it needs it. I praise thee. For those that I know, oh Lord, manifest these things. And Father, for those who do not, I simply pray, stir in their hearts, stir in their minds, simply to say, Lord, how would you have me to do this? And may, I pray, oh God, may thy power and the love of Christ come through as we manifest the hospitality thou hast manifested to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, brethren, let's take five.